welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so happy you're with us today. My dear friends, as I've done this work publicly over the past decade, I have met so many beautiful, beautiful people. And among them, I've met all kinds of people in terms of background and vision and calling, all kinds of people. In so many cases, I come to feel that I'm seeing their own spirit guides actively at work, leading and shaping their lives. But no matter how hard our guides might be working, there's always the fact that you and I have free will. We are in charge. So ultimately, in each of the lives of these beautiful people who are living in service to others, there is a radiant sort of spark of who they truly are that shines through. And that's part of part of one of the joys, really one of the greatest joys of doing this work for me. Because of Seek Reality, I get to watch them go through their lives in service and shine ever more brightly. It's beautiful. And if you've been with Seek Reality for a while, you have met people who that, that through the through seek reality who really who really are beacons. Obviously, Craig Hogan, Peter Wright, people like that. And we're going to be speaking with Carol Morgan, Sandra Champlain, Father Nathan Castle again in just a few weeks. Those are three people I hear from listeners often about. But there are many others too, and they're neither famous nor wealthy, but they're doing glorious work in service. And they're all doing what it looks from here to me that they must have been born to do. Another one who meets that definition is my wonderful friend, T.J. Woodward. T.J. is with us today for the third time. It should be more, but time goes so quickly when you're sort of making other plans, as John Lennon said. His first time here was way back in 2015. Seek Reality was barely two years old, and his first book was just out. Liberating Jesus was just out as well, and I was astounded to read TJ's Conscious Being, Awakening to Your True Nature, and see it as fundamentally, it was liberating Jesus, but based on Eastern religious teachings, no Jesus. I was thrilled. I was bowled over because, this is tragic to have to say, but some people have been so traumatized by the fear-based nature of Christianity as as it's being practiced now that they they don't really want to hear these truths from Jesus. And that's tragic to me. But they have, now they have T.J. Woodward's first book as an alternative. I love that book. My dear friend's special calling has been to help people who have substance abuse issues. And he was therefore he was back on Seek Reality three years later with his second book, which is called Conscious Recovery, A Fresh Perspective on Addiction. It's based in his deeply compassionate and love-based work with people who are addicted. I mean, I, it, it astonished me to hear what he was doing this work when I first heard it, because I thought, you know, I mean, why? why? But they are the people who most need us, right? So they are the people we should really be reaching out to help. I admire him so much for that. And now this is his third Seek Reality visit, and it's going to be about his third book, which is called Conscious Creation, Five Steps to Embracing the Life of Your Dreams. His ministry really extends to us all. T.J. Woodward is the Senior Minister and Spiritual Director of Agape Bay Area in Oakland, California, and that's the first satellite community of the Agape International Spiritual Center in Los Angeles. 
He has offered spiritual care at major treatment programs for more than a decade. And in some of those facilities, creating their spiritual program program really has been his work. So he has, he has founded these spiritual care programs as well. He's the creator of the conscious recovery method, which is a groundbreaking and it's apparently quite an effective approach to viewing and treating addictions. And he's the creator and host of the awakened living TV and awakened living radio shows. So he's a busy guy. My dear friend, TJ Woodward is a ball of fire. TJ, welcome. I'm so happy to have you back with us. Thank you, Roberta. And I just love, you know, you describe me as a ball of fire and that's why I have such synchronicity with you. I would describe you in the exact same way. So I'm really <laughs> grateful to be here and be in conversation with you again. <laughs> Thank you, my dear. Um, my, my husband, I was just telling you before we went on that we're about to have our 50th anniversary. I do not know why this dear man puts up with me. I really don't because um, I, I really do nothing but work at this point. And I'm so glad to hear that you're still you're still with Will, who's delightful. Also, I when I saw you out in California, you had you were recently married, and um, I what a delightful guy. He was very sweet, and I'm so glad to hear after 10 years that's going strong. Oh yes, thank you, Roberta. Yeah, we're coming up on our 10 year anniversary, not our wedding anniversary, but our anniversary of our first date, uh, July 4th, 2012. So we're about at 10 years. So you know we're we're catching up with you. <laughs> well, you're going to have to run pretty fast because, because we'll be 50 years in August. But um, I, I, I swear, I don't know how my poor dear husband puts up with me because I don't do anything but work. I mean, that's it's it's easy to be, I think, a ball of fire if you're so obsessed that you don't do much of anything else. But you know what? Some people have to do that, too. And if it's what you love. It's sort of like uh, this work is like candy. You, I think you feel this way, too. You enjoy it so much that it is like candy to be doing this work for other people. Yes, it's it's amazing. You know, now that I am so attuned to my purpose on planet Earth, I have found that I have boundless energy. I could do this you know, 18 hours a day, go to sleep, wake up and do it again. And I do I do try to make some time for other things in my life. But the truth is what is really energizing and fulfilling for me is really helping be a part of shifting consciousness on the planet to a, a, a greater reality and a new way of being. So I'm very passionate about it. And yes, ball of fire is a great way to do describe it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't even describe what it is you do, but what you basically do is help these people take their life down to base and rebuild it in a healthy way. That is that what it's trying to do? Because that's what it looked like to me. Yes, I, I love that description because so many times I've worked with people over the years who want to create the perfect relationship, the perfect job. They yeah, want yeah. to discover their purpose. They want to manifest. You know, that's common language now in our culture, but without doing some of the deeper work for many of us. The deeper work of clearing some of the old beliefs, old ideas, and the old ways of seeing the world, we just keep trying and trying and trying, and there's so much efforting and trying to create. So what I wanted to offer is a different approach that is not only more effective, but also can be much, much simpler than trying to struggle to create the life of our dreams. So this is just a really different way of approaching how we can actually discover our purpose and live in more awe, more connection, and more, more joy. Joy, and that's really what this is about, right? Joy and happiness. But the, the two people that you especially use 
um, as examples, Travis and Sasha, Travis has a totally messed up childhood. Um, I would I would expect him to need a lot of help. But Sasha seems just to have been not ideally parented. And they both end up damaged and in, in different ways. And we think as adults that we're past childhood. And what get, what struck me as I read your book is nobody ever is, right? I mean, we are we are that same child with a little more mileage. And if we don't address the issues that we that that came up in childhood when we were small, when we couldn't fight back, we carry them forward. Is that true? That's what looks to me the case to be to be really true. Maybe when we don't even know we're carrying them forward. Yes, that's correct. And, you know, starting with the understanding that we come into this world as a whole and perfect spiritual being, you know, we're, we're God essence. We are whole and perfect and complete spiritually. And then we incarnate onto planet earth. We could do a whole show on maybe why we do that. And we could debate that. Who knows? <laughs> right. But what I do know is that we come in wide open and we come in needing to receive love and connection. And many of us get that. And many of us get that, and then it's taken away in some way. And unfortunately, there are people on planet Earth that don't get that at all. And they then suffer a deep wound, attachment wound, yes. and then create that. what that creates is not only some core false beliefs or ideas about themselves, but also a frequency, right? People start to believe they're broken or damaged. And then, of course, they go into the world and they keep re-experiencing it. So yes, without going back. Yes, they create themselves these very situations that they're trying to get away from and it, because they create them out of who they are. But what I, what I love, too, is when you talk about people, you talk about us as having as basically being these perfect beings and in a sense, I guess, living on Earth and overcoming our past, it is, it's all part of just, we're not learning or becoming anything new. We're becoming who we truly are. That's what seems to be the case in this book. And I think you're right. Yes, that's, that's really the key, right? It's not that we're searching for someone or something or searching for some ideal. It's what you said so beautifully. It's really about returning to who we are innately. And most of us uh, come into the world and then through a series of events, we start to forget that truth. And so yes. really all spiritual traditions and hopefully religion and all different kind of therapy is all intended to help us reclaim and return to that greater reality. Oh, that's so beautiful. Um, reading this book, I really think that anyone who is who who feels that they're frustrated about their lives could use it because it's a way to re-examine why we, how we feel, why we feel, and and how to get beyond those feelings and get to the, the basically to curing whatever is broken and and or at least working through it. And um, I mean, I'm I'm very skeptical about a lot of counselors, but you're a counselor and you seem to have psyched out how to actually do it right, which is a wonderful thing. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, so many, you know, therapeutic models really look for what's broken in a person and it's not yeah. always conscious, right? Many therapists and counselors are trained to diagnose and treat and only look at the symptoms, uh, whether that's addiction or relationship issues, frustration at work, all of those are symptomatic of something. And to yes. me, the root of it is a separation from our true nature. So 
the model that I, the way I approach it is not through the lens of what's wrong and how do I help someone fix it, but what is whole and complete with it in this person and how do I hold a space for them to return to it? Oh, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. I, I cannot do this book justice with me talking about it. I made a bunch of notes, but the more that I, uh, I look at my notes, the more I think probably you want to talk about it more than I should. Um, but it, it, it's, I'm not sure how to begin. If you were, what is conscious creation? You talk about that. What is it? Well, I want to start by saying I did at one point promise myself I would never be the person who created a multi-step process. And <laughs> you know, you know how it is when we say we're never going to do something. Never, right? never say never. Right. <laughs> I said I would never work in the addiction field, and I did. I'm doing oh, that. Right. So my goodness. Uh, so it is a five-step process that I've created, uh-huh. and I've, I've given it an acronym, MOVIE, M-O-V-I-E. And, you know, I think it's something that helps the mind have something to grab onto. Essentially, what the book is about is how we go back and heal some of the wounds and the separation that created this false sense of self, a belief in our own brokenness, so that we can then be open and receptive to listening to inner wisdom and creating our life from that. This is beautiful. This is what the, each of those letters, of course, stands for, for, for a step. Uh, these, this is what TJ was never going to do. Here, here are his five steps. First, <laughs> making peace with the past. We could do a whole series of programs just on that, frankly. Second, overcoming false beliefs. There's another one. Third, visioning. Fourth, intention setting. And fifth, embodying the vision. That, that's it in a nutshell. That is the book in a nutshell. And yet then you, you also have alter, other, other sets of four or five steps for, for each of those. So um, but let's just say that you did break your own rule there pretty, pretty firmly, my dear. I sure did. And, and, you know, it's interesting because when I, when I think about the reason this evolved or emerged as this acronym is the basic understanding here is that we are actually projectors. We're holding a projector. It's not so much that life is the way life is happening, but more about the way we're perceiving it. And this projector is our core false beliefs or our core ideas about the world. And we see it everywhere. So if I believe that I'm a kind and loving and open person, I will experience that everywhere. If I believe I'm broken and damaged, I will experience that everywhere. So the book is really about recognizing that we're holding the camera and how do we start to clear that lens so we can see the world in a different way. Yeah. um, And I, that, struck me about the book too. Um, people were basically, the world was a mirror. They were creating what was happening in the world as opposed to, I mean, more and more. And when we come at this, this, what is reality and how do we address reality from a lot of different perspectives, more and more, it does seem that it really is mirroring that mirror. It's, it's, it's in our mind. We are creating it in our own mind. So if, if the, if the, as you say, the camera's broken or it's just, it's images distorted, that's what you're going to be seeing, thinking it's real, but it isn't real. It's something that, that, uh, that you have, you have done yourself. Um, yes. And I love that Albert Einstein, and I don't know for sure if he said this, but he says, uh, reality is an illusion 
albeit a persistent persistent one. one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I there's a, there are articles written about what he did and didn't say, but it, yeah. he said enough that it's pretty clear to me that he understood a whole lot. Which, if only they had taken him seriously about that, and not just about the, the uh, you know particles part, um, right. the world would be a very different place. Same with Max Planck. Both of them understood a great deal of what you and I are discovering, and many others are discovering now. And it's only you know most of a century later. Oh, that's another program. We should probably just do this over and over. <laughs> I would but, love that. <laughs> but let's let's talk about. Um, this is another thing which is amazing. Four levels of consciousness. Let's talk about what those are, because um, I actually know people in those different at the living at those different levels. I never thought of them as different levels of consciousness, but indeed, that's just what they are. Talk about those. Yeah, this came from, it actually came from my first book, Conscious Being. You might remember that. And this is a framework that came to me in the silence, this idea that we can look at where we are, how we are being in the world and what that creates. And again, I've, I've given these names that all start with M. Um, it's martyr, which is victim consciousness. The world is happening to me. Um, magical thinking. That's when we start to shift our life into not that the world is happening to me, but I make things happen, right? So I use the power of my mind to start creating a different reality. Then the third level is metaphysical, meaning life happens through me. I start to realize that there is a loving source in the world and I'm, I'm really channeling that. And so we might call that channel energy as well. And then mystical, which is where I realize that life is happening as me. And I'm actually one with all of life, not separate in any way. I love it. So wonderful. And so true. Exactly. And, and a lot of the problems that the world had, in fact, I would argue most of the problems we see in the world now that make us feel most desperate about the world come from the fact that people are are not thinking um, from a high enough level of consciousness for them to understand how even to address the world productively. They're, they're, they, they think it's happening to them, they're martyrs, or um, they think uh, that there's some easy answer and that they can just kind of magically make it happen. Those first two are very prominent in the world. Yes. I mean, most of the world has lived at those levels of consciousness and we are shifting now. You know, we've spoken of some of the great spiritual masters that came to earth to tell us that we have the capability of having a different reality. And yet most of us, at least looking backward, we've still been stuck in this cycle of um, either martyr, the world is happening to me or force, right? I'm going to make something happen. And it really ties into the first step, making peace with the past, because if I'm living in this martyr victim consciousness, it's not easy to make past peace with what has happened in the past. It's not so much about forgiveness as it is about ch- shifting my awareness and my level of consciousness about what has happened. Yes. Um, forgiveness, though, is so important. Um, it's the gift you give yourself. And uh, as, but for the past 10 years, I've been teaching forgiveness as a priority and primarily because you know, I work in the afterlife field. And the first thing that happens when you get home is they say, okay, time for your life review. And you get to experience how you have affected everybody else in your entire life. And there is, that is very hard for people to get through, even if they, you know, 
you may be thinking, yeah, it'll be a piece of cake for me because you know why you did the things you did. But when you only see those things that, that you did from the perspective of the people that you affected, it can be very hard to get past that. And yet, if you're not able to forgive yourself, you you uh, you can't progress. So, yeah. The more I teach it, TJ, the more I think, you know, it's very important what you're doing because you're teaching it as well. Yeah, forgiveness. It's interesting because ultimately it is about forgiveness. And it's one of those words, you know, we think about certain words in our in our culture that are very heavy with a lot of history, like God, right? When we talk about God, we might have a certain idea about what that means. And forgiveness has often been taught to us of looking at it through the lens of good, bad, right, wrong. Right. You, Approval. I did right. something right. wrong and I need to forgive myself or they did something wrong and I need to forgive them. And what I'm inviting, well, first of all, if I called it forgiveness as the first step, we would have FUVI, which of course is not a great acronym. <laughs> so um, the reason I call it... <laughs> <laughs> that, that's very important. Yes, you're right. My dear, yes. The, the reason I focus on peace <laughs> with the past is as we start to shift the from the ideas of good, bad, right, wrong, and move into compassion, openness, curiosity, then we can start to realize that it's not so much what happened, but how I have framed and work with what's happened. So if I ask someone the question, is it possible to make peace regardless of what you've done or what you have perceived has happened to you? Something can start to shift in a really profound way. Yeah. It's just too many people think that forgive in order to forgive, you have to basically approve or they have to apologize first or um, they, people don't understand forgiveness at all. That to me is the single most important lesson for us to learn when we're here. If we learn no other lesson, because the time will come when it'll be very important that we know how to forgive no matter what people have done. And that time is right after we get home. Yes. So, um, but no, this, this is, I, I, I thought you handled forgiveness. Well, I, I thought that you handled uh, getting people to, really look more deeply as well. Um, you you talked about the law of attraction and why it works and why it doesn't. And I thought that was striking too, um, because they're, they're talk about that. Uh, because many people think really believe in it and they think it works. Well, it does sometimes, but not always. And there's a, there's a hook on it. What, what, what's that? Yeah. Well, I think the first hook um, for me is that there is sometimes this idea that if I manifest a perfect life, then I can be happy. And what I'm inviting is a different possibility. And that is, let's look at what actually needs to shift within me so that I can discover that inner peace and happiness. And then I start to radiate that into the world and I'm creating in a very different way. So it may seem like we are attracting different situations into our life, which I think is true on one level. And I'm also attracted to them based on what I believe I deserve and what I'm worthy of. So the issue that I have with law of attraction is not that it doesn't work because I think it absolutely does on so many levels. But the issue I think is this idea that if I can manifest this, I'll be happy or that it's really just about attracting rather than looking at, wow, what am I really feeling about myself? What's the frequency I'm emitting? And how do I start to shift that before I start trying to manifest? Yeah, it it's it really is again um, the this this truism that that you it's hard for you to manifest 
what's not already in yourself and you yourself are perfect. But if you have, if you feel damaged or you see yourself as lesser, then it's very hard for you to, to manifest what you can't yet find in yourself, even if it's there. Yes. And that really is the root of the law of attraction and it gets used often, I think in a different way, which is I'm going to start with figuring out, and I'm using that very consciously figuring out what I want. And then, you know, maybe doing a vision board or holding the energy of that until I manifest it. And what I'm offering is what needs to be cleared and healed so that I can have a more direct connection with that inner source energy and listen intently from a, a divine, more divine purpose for my life and then start to act from that. And that's a very different way of being. You, you use this, this, these processes in your practice, right? You, you help people using, using these um, steps and, and the, the, these systems. What do you find in your practice are the ones that are hardest for people to grasp or, or I, I mean, I should just say TJ has two um, people who he sort of takes through his practice, um, obviously not with their true names. Uh, and that's very helpful because you can see how they they're, they benefit from the process. But what is the hardest? What are the hardest things for people to grasp and deal with and overcome? Well, I think the main, the first opportunity, I'll put it that way, is for someone to actually understand at a very deep level that we are creating reality based on the projector, based on the lens. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me and my own journey, when I believed that or understood that at about 98 or 99%, it was, it it was painful. You know, nothing's more painful than 99% surrender, right? So an awareness (laughs) that I am the one holding the camera, I'm the one that is projecting onto the world. That's the first major step. And for some people that can take um, years to even get to that. Once we have that understanding, then we can start looking at, oh, wow, what is, what is it from my past that I need to make peace with? What are those core false beliefs that I need to overcome in order to have this clear projector rather than carrying my past with me everywhere I go? Some people um, have had traumas in childhood that they have blocked. Do you run run into people like that? And they, they suddenly remember that they were sexually abused or they had some traumatic, very traumatic thing happen when they were very small. And they just basically didn't remember it. They they buried it because it was too painful. Does that sometimes happen too? Absolutely. And for most of us, we, you know, we, we use the term defense mechanism or defense strategy. I actually call them brilliant strategies. And so for many (laughs) of us, especially as a young person, Um, In my own journey, and I I closed off at age seven, I built a wall around my heart. And I used to think that I used to frame that as something that I did that was wrong. Uh, What I have discovered, though, is it's not only the best I could do as a little seven-year-old in a world that felt scary, but it also really saved me. Now, of course, burying all of that was also saving me, if you will, 
from the love and connection that I truly desired. So in my adult life, there were plenty of things that I had buried so deeply I didn't even remember. And so the work that I have done with clients is really holding a space for them to access. It's not so much about re-experiencing every single thing that happened or even remembering in great detail, but recognizing there are things that are buried in the unconscious that are actually running the show. How do we bring them into conscious awareness so we can start to choose rather than being run by the old programs? But they have to want it though, right? I mean, it, it's, it can feel safe not to access a, a past that maybe you, you sense or at least or maybe know would be somewhat painful. It takes courage, doesn't it, to finally allow your mind to access those memories or that, that awareness? Yes, and I, I think that's that's why um, the, the 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 late great Wayne Dyer said every spiritual advance I've ever made was preceded by some sort of fall. So most people, myself included, and most everyone I've ever worked with, it's not until we have some condition in our life that has a degree of challenge where we start to look at this. It could be a divorce. It could be a bankruptcy. It could be addiction, uh, the loss of someone that's dear to us, where we begin to ask ourselves these deeper questions. And actually that pain, that struggle, if you will, can be um, almost an admission price into this new way of being and seeing. And that's happened multiple times in my life where I've had this opportunity where, wow, something just the way I've been doing it is just isn't fulfilling. Something crumbles and then there's an opportunity to take a deeper look. I, I told you before we started that um, I, I thought I had not had any traumas in my life because I didn't have any of these issues. These people all seem to have these issues and I felt very bad for them, but I actually think I'm remarkably put together but I just realized there was one and and um, it should have been very traumatic, but it wasn't. And I don't understand why either. Um, my father, bless his heart, um, was determined that and this, of course, was many years ago that I was going to become the first woman president. It, it drove him. Um, you know, he's feeding me at the, in the high chair and he's telling me how I'm going to be the first woman president. And I grew up knowing that, knowing I was going to be the first woman president. And it didn't even, I even went to law school. I mean, this is all going to happen because I knew it from when I was a tiny child, but I didn't want to be, I mean, it looked to me like the worst thing that could happen to you to have to go do that. <laughs> right. And, and, and it was, it all came home to me. It really, I did have kind of a crisis, when Bill Clinton was elected, Bill Clinton is five days younger than I am. Mm. And and I, I just realized now, yeah, but I, I think as long as you don't, I don't know why, I don't know why it wasn't more traumatic. It should have been. I was just, phew, my reaction was, oh, good, he did it. I don't have to. And then I was sure that, of course, his wife would be elected, but instead it was someone who was two months older than I. So I really felt I'd dodged the bullet then. Um, but I, I, I think that parents don't know what they do to their children. They I, Clearly, he thought that he was giving me good ambitions. You know, I mean, we want our kids to have ambitions and they they made me feel very good about myself. But that's kind of a screwy thing to do to a little girl, don't you think? Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to also start with just compassion for anyone who's listening right now, who is a parent. Um, we do the best we can. Yes. And 
we're we're evolving and growing. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, you know, we were taught to be left in our crib until we stopped crying and don't pick your child oh. up and all the things, you know, oh, yes. don't breastfeed, use this formula. You know, oh, I was yeah. I was literally, you know, pulled out with forceps and put into an incubator. I mean, these kind of things are we now understand as traumatic, but we all have done the best we can. So I want to start with that. And, and when I say the best we can, I don't mean that we couldn't have done better. What I mean is that our level of consciousness and because of our own history, you know, my mother, I just, I adore her. And she had a lot of trauma in early childhood that she hadn't addressed. My dad had a lot of trauma in his childhood. He hadn't addressed. They got married in their early twenties. I can't even imagine by the time they were, I think 27, they had three kids that I wasn't even ready to contemplate caring for another soul until I was well into my thirties. So I had a lot of compassion. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I had a friend when I had little children, I had a friend who said, it's just too bad. Everybody's raised by amateurs. And and that's really true. You know, the more I, I went forward with my own kids, because I had three as well, and and they were as different from one another as three people on on the world in the world could possibly be, and I kept thinking, I you know I know I'm I'm really learning how to do this well. I'll be able to do it right next time, but you don't get it next time. They make you keep that that learner batch, and, <laughs> right. and that's why that's why we have so much trouble in the world. Everybody's raised by amateurs. She was right. right. Yeah. And and an idea of, you know, that we should all be perfect, you know, in terms of all of our behavior. And, you know, you were speaking to, um, I think for me, everything has a light and a shadow. And in a way, you know, in my book, you're, you're more aligned with the Sasha character who thought she grew up in the perfect household, right? Her parents were academic. She spoke multiple languages. She was a classic violinist. She, for all on the surface, everything looked perfect. She was a lawyer. She was working in a law firm and she kept contemplating. Why does she feel unfulfilled? She needed to become partner in the law firm. When that didn't happen, she had a crisis of faith. And so her father, very well intent with great intentions, always wanted her to strive to be better. And what showed up for her is if she didn't get the A when she was a kid, you know, dad was silent. He didn't praise her. And so she was not aware that because of that, she developed this belief that she wasn't worthy and that she must achieve in order to be fulfilled. And that really served her well in so many ways. And yet emotionally and spiritually, she felt really empty because, you know, none of us, I don't care how much we're balls of fire or superhumans, we can't achieve everything in the world that we think we need. There are disappointments in the world in terms of relative reality. So for her, chasing this success became something that became deeply painful for her. And it wasn't until she started realizing, oh, I need to have a different approach to this that things started actually shifting in her life. Yeah. I, I, I think just to sort of, to sort of finish this thought that, that um, I, there, I did potentially have a wound. I think what saved me from that is I always knew I was intensely loved. Mm. I really was. My parents were extremely loving and and I it never questioned I never questioned how much they loved me and I think that is if you if we're going to be giving advice to to parents that's the most important advice we can give just love your kids because you do love them 
but just there, you can't possibly show it too much. You can't possibly be too loving. And I think that that solves a lot of problems to tell you the truth. I think that actually is the root of it because I remember in my early journey, my friend Carol said exactly what you just said. And that is there's a fundamental difference when we work with people who felt loved and who didn't. Yeah. Uh, I always felt loved in my, by my family. Now there was a lot of conditional love. There were a lot of things <laughs> that were happening. There were a lot of things yeah. that were confusing, but the baseline was always that I felt loved and, and you are 100% correct. If anyone is listening right now and you might have a judgment about everything, anything you've done with your kids, the number one thing to do is love, be, be loving and be present with them. 15 minutes of that every day will be life-changing for them. And now it, if it, if it, they never doubt, if there's never a moment, I mean, they never struck their children. They never, they never shouted really. Um, they, there was just whatever, whatever was going on. Um, the fact that we were loved was the very center of that conversation and they didn't even have to say it. You could hear it in their voices. That's the way to raise children. That's the way I raised mine. And, um, you know, they went up into the world and did all their various things, but I'm close to them still. And um, no, thank you, TJ. I think that's the most important thing anyone could take away from our conversation today. We all are raised by amateurs, but um, and but there are if if you're one who was, there are this book I really recommend. I it's a because it's it's short. We all want short books nowadays, but it's to the point. It's very easy to read, and I think it wor- it would work beautifully. I mean, I can see why this is exactly this is this is the 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 ticket for people who have these problems. But if you're raising your kids now, love is the only only prescription. That's right. Yeah. And thank you for that. I did. My intention with writing the book was to have it be something that is short and is straightforward and something that people can really apply to their lives. Because a lot of times, you know, I remember in my early journey, I would read these incredible spiritual books. Right. uh, And I would, I just, they confused me in some ways, which was great. But I also wanted something that's really practical that people can apply. There's these five steps within that. There are these keys for, you know, peace. Yeah. So I I just thank you for that because that really was my intention. Yeah, I know. Um, Yeah. I I mean, but a lot of, it used to be that we were happy if a book was a doorstop. Not anymore. Everybody right. wants a book that's a little bit thicker than a pamphlet and that will get to the root of it and then solve the problem. That's what people want in their books. And this is one of those books. All right, we're, we're coming near the end of our time. What do you, I, I just said what I think people should take away, but what do you want people to take away from, from our conversation today? We've talked about so much. What I really want people to take away is this knowing that there's a place within each of us that is unharmed and unharmable, that we came into this world as whole and perfect spiritual beings. And regardless of what has happened, we have access to that. We can create our life in a really different way, not just by changing our thinking or our behavior, but by taking a look at what needs to be cleared away so that we can carve out, if you will, or open up to the inner wisdom. That's really the intention of conscious creation, that someone can access that inner infinite, the infinite possibilities that exist within them, listen to that, take action from that. There's some practical pieces, but really the takeaway is regardless of what has happened in your life, regardless of what you have done, you are worthy of a life filled with love and connection. (laughs) Beautifully said. 
That that is really true. I mean, it belongs it, it belongs to us as our sacred birthright. This this fact that we are infinitely loved. That's why I say that in every one of these podcasts, I tell you how completely you are loved. Yeah, you're loved by God, but you're loved by all of the universe. Every star in the sky sparkles because of you. It's amazing how intensely we are loved by everything that is, and. Um, that's a good place, I think, for us to be when we begin to understand that. It really does make everything look a whole lot better than whatever we thought was around us, because that was all illusion. That's as, right. As Albert Einstein himself said. So big hug, my dear. And please tell, tell, give Will a hug for me, too. Tell him, tell him I, I always i so enjoyed uh, the last time that um i saw him just uh he's he's a, just a very sort of a sweet guy he's what you need because um your life is so out in the world and active he needs somebody who just support you need somebody who's just supportive and he's perfect for you oh well thank you and i just i so appreciate our time together and i i love who you be in the world too roberta i appreciate you <laughs> <laughs> and, and t- tell me one more thing though where where is the agape center going that's thriving right i mean you're well, doing well with it you know there, there's an update you might not know this i actually resigned as the senior minister of agape bay area and moved to oh. southern california a year ago to focus on my conscious recovery work and ultimately conscious creation so I, I'm actually not there anymore. It's thriving. It's, you know, meeting online now, of course. And I'm so grateful to have had that spark of um, that divine spark to start that community. And of course, for our connection with Michael Beckwith and it's thriving and I'm not part of it. Although I did just speak there this past Sunday. That's, that's how you tricked me. I would have wondered about that, but there you were, you were, I get their emails. And so there you were. So I, Oh, you were fine. You were just had moved up. Well, um, I hope you're be staying safe in Southern California. Things are getting a little wild down there. But um, anytime you want to move to Texas, you know, it's very nice here, too. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. Will and I are starting to look at houses, and I just sent him some listings from Dallas. So to be continued. <laughs> <laughs> it is a small world, isn't it? It really yes. is. But bless you, my dear, and biggest hug. Thank you. Everyone, we have again come to the end of our time. And this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm so glad you were here today. Please never forget, you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began and you never will end. And when you get that, as we've just been saying today, it changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest will be the psychic lawyer, Mark Anthony, and he'll be with us for the fifth time. Mark's latest book is called The Afterlife Frequency, The Scientific Proof of Spiritual Contact and How That Awareness Will Change Your Life. This is an area where there's going to be a tremendous amount of news. Um, it's really almost central to Seek Reality Online, which we're, as you know, working on. Um, and so I'll be very interested to see what Mark says in his book. But in fact, the only thing that exists is the creative energy that we experience as consciousness. That's it. So I'll be interested to sort of, I think you'll enjoy this, but I certainly will next week too. Um, More and more, I think the prominent workers in the vineyard of 
afterlife research and education are teaching the energy-based nature of reality and helping their flocks begin to explore those implications. So, um, and Mark Anthony is a genuinely gifted medium. I have seen him work and he's an enjoyable guest. So please be sure to be with us next week. And today, our guest has been my wonderful, wonderful friend, T.J. Woodward. He's been with us for the third time, but he'll be back soon. T.J. is a very bright and profoundly spiritual man, intuitively spiritually, and in my experience. And I've known him since, oh, early, probably more than more than a decade. And I think that he, I've watched him grow as I think I've grown myself in this work, which has been very satisfying. Uh, again, a little plug for conscious being awakening to your true nature, which is liberating Jesus for people who don't want to talk about Jesus. His particular ministry in the world is helping people who are damaged in some way, substance abuse. And as we've talked about childhood damage, and to me, that is a calling and a gift. Um, his The book we've been talking about today, Conscious Recovery, A Fresh Perspective. No, that's the second one is Conscious Recovery, A Fresh Perspective on Addiction, if you have those issues. But this book is Conscious Creation, Five Steps to Embracing the Life of Your Dreams. And I think it's a beautiful book for everybody because we all, I think, need to think more about how we can help ourselves to heal, be our own best parents, be our own best friends. And this book really will help you do that. T.J. Woodward is a beautiful man. He lives in spiritual service and bless him. I, I just am so happy to call him my friend. As you know, my own nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together, and this year, The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus Taught. There's a children's book, The Fun of Meeting Jesus, and we have illustrations for the second one, which will be about the death of a dog. I think we we need that book. I just can't find the time to write the text, but we will try to do that this year and next. If you want to talk about any of my books, what we were saying today, anything at all, if you want to reach me, you can just go to the green contact block on robertagrimes.com. I answer every email. It can take a week, but I do answer. So please be sure to give me your correct email address. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net, realrevolutionradio.com, iTunes, iHeart, and just about anywhere you can find a podcast nowadays, you can find Seek Reality. There's also, of course, an app available for free on the iTunes, uh, in the iTunes store. And there you can get, um, I, every week it'll come to you automatically, I'm told. I've never tried, but people seem to be very happy about that. So, um, meanwhile, this, <laughs> until next week, I will miss you and it's, I'll look forward to next time. But meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy, please make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being, and you, most of all in the entire universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.